You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. This week on The Art of Improvement, I'll be talking to Dr. Cameron Craven. He is with Westlake Dermatology, and what he does is plastic surgery. Have you ever thought about it? Have you seen yourself in Zoom lately? Well, we'll have a conversation with Dr. Craven coming up next on The Art of Improvement. Hi, and thank you so much for listening to The Art of Improvement. My guest today is Dr. Cameron Craven. And uh, Dr. Craven, you do something that I've always been interested in, and that is you are a plastic surgeon. And tell me a little bit about Westlake Dermatology. You're with them, right? I am. I am. So I've been with Westlake Dermatology for about 14 years now. Uh, I joined them uh, straight out of my uh, residency and fellowship training. And uh, it's, it's, been, uh, it's been an interesting uh, uh, story and scenario. That when I joined them, they were strictly a dermatology practice, uh, mixed, uh, mixed medical and cosmetic dermatology. Uh, there were six physicians in the group, and they had three locations in the Austin area. Uh, since then, uh, we have grown to 32 dermatologists and dermatopathologists and five surgeons in uh, a total of 16 locations, 13 in Austin, and then one in Houston, Dallas, and San Antonio. Incredible. That is incredible. So what do you, what do you attribute this humongous growth? Well, I think it's, it's a combination of, of excellent leadership and also just uh, picking the right people. Uh, we, we don't have a lot of physician turnover. Uh, so you know, once physicians join us, uh, they, they tend to stay for the long haul. The majority of our physicians have, have, uh, have come and stayed. Uh, in fact, the, uh, the first physician that joined uh, Dr. Nicolaitis when he opened the practice uh, within the first year is still with us. Uh, so, in fact, six of the original seven physicians are still with the group. So I think that's a big thing, having, having uh, good employees and good partners to, to partner with, uh, and then great uh, uh, patient relations. Amazing. That is amazing. And I, I hope you don't mind me get a, getting a little bit personal, but I, I want to find out about you. I mean, I, I read that you grew up in the Austin area. You went to UT, hook em horn, so did I. <laughs> and, and, you know, how did you determine that you wanted to become a doctor and then, uh, you know, specialize in plastic surgery? Oh, it's it's kind of a, a stereotypical story where you know, as a child, you're brainwashed. You know, your, your parents you should be either a doctor or a lawyer. And uh, you know, my father's a dentist, my mother's a computer software programmer. Uh, but my my brother ended up being a lawyer, and I was a doctor, as luck would have it. Um, That's great. And then you know, I, I, I knowing that I wanted to be a physician, I, I suspect that I wanted to do surgery. I always like taking things apart and putting them back together, uh, so that just kind of fit. And I, I did some preceptorships in college and just basically found that I, I meshed better and felt like I could identify better with the plastic surgeons than with the cardiothoracic surgeon, neuro, neurosurgeons, the, the other things that I was considering. Uh, so I, I really had a pretty good idea going into medical school what, uh, what specialty I even wanted to, uh, to pursue. Uh, so I, I spent some time with some plastic surgeons uh, and, uh, and just really enjoyed what they do. The fact that you can operate all over the body, 
uh, you know, you do hand surgery, you can do burn reconstruction, you do cosmetic surgery, uh, cancer reconstruction. It really, it really ran the gamut. So I, I, I felt like I would never get bored with what I was doing. And, uh, and now I, I've narrowed it to just cosmetic surgery. But uh, for me, the, the, the surgery was the fun part. The, the dealing with insurance companies and the, the, you know, the business side of it was not as fun. Right. Uh, so cosmetic surgery was a perfect fit for me. That that is incredible, and you know, I I always forget, and I'm sure I'm not the only one that when it comes to plastic surgery, it is more than just you know a nose job, <laughs> because I do forget about the reconstruction. I mean, that's in, incredible. So with um, with the COVID pandemic, um, lots of people have been talking to me about. Oh my gosh, I I. I look at myself every day now where I never did before because I'm in a million Zoom meetings. Have Has COVID and Zoom meetings had any effect on plastic surgery? It, it would seem so. So, you know, the, the American Society of Plastic Surgeons uh, put out a, a survey a while back um, and, and they, they, they asked plastic surgeons how long they shut down and then how many cases they're doing, that sort of thing. And so, interestingly, the average plastic surgeon shut down surgery for about 8.1 8. weeks last year. Uh, and so the, the number of cases total is down about 15% uh, from 2019 to 2020. That being said, uh, the most common things, uh, nose reshaping, you mentioned eyelid surgery and face surgery, are down less, uh, indicating that they're actually up on a percentage basis uh, year over year. Uh, so those are the top three most commonly performed procedures and, and they're down less than the expected 15%, whereas the other things like liposuction, breast augmentation, other breast surgeries are down more than 15%, more than you would expect for the time off. Awesome. I mean, it, 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 it has to, there has to be some correlation. I mean, would you say that then people looking at themselves and thinking, oh, I can do this, I can do that. I mean, do people... Um, do people do other things before they finally decide that they're going to come to you for eyelid surgery or, you know, rhinoplasty? Do they seek course, out other uh, things? Yeah, there's non-surgical things that, uh, that people usually pursue first. I mean, things like Botox and, and dermal fillers uh, are the obvious kind of entry into uh, cosmetic enhancement. Uh, there's lasers and non, uh, non-ablative, non-invasive, uh, non-laser devices, things like old therapy and thermage and all sorts of devices uh, that we actually specialize in uh, to kind of allow people to, to do things that have little to no downtime. And then they, they become introduced to the other more invasive options and surgical options that we do offer, uh, which is kind of the, the beauty of, of our practice, blending cosmetic dermatology and plastic surgery, we offer the full gamut of procedures. So someone that's not ready for something invasive, we, we can offer something to them. And then someone that's ready to, you know, to, to go all in, uh, yeah. we have them as well. <laughs> right. Um, I also understand that uh, Westlake Dermatology um, really prides itself on state-of-the-art care. And when, it, when I read state-of-the-art care, I mean, how... How have things changed? Maybe you said you've been there for a long time. How long does it take for something to change? And what could possibly change about, you know, getting eyelid surgery? Well, you know, the surgery, uh, the surgery aspect of it, some of those things don't change very much. Uh, we, we, we do them with, uh, with local anesthesia now. So whereas maybe in the past things were done more. Oh, more okay. 
So most of the facial procedures, facelifts, eyelid surgery, uh, things like that, we, we do under local anesthesia with just a little oral sedation. Uh, so you're not asleep, you're not intubated, you're not on a ventilator. Uh, we're not in a hospital setting, we're in an outpatient setting, so once the surgery's done, you can go home. Uh, so that, that's certainly changed and, and become more common over the last decade. Uh, the devices are something that changes you know, on a, on a you know, monthly basis, if not on, on an annual basis. And so we try and stay up with the latest devices, at least if there's an advancement, we, we try and make sure that we have those devices available for our patients. Um, and, and those are the main things. You know, there's different medications available for pain control. There's, there's long-acting local anesthetics that we can inject. Uh, but the, the techniques of the surgery change less, obviously, uh, over time. So would you say that um, you said there are, you know, many doctors uh, with Westlake dermatology, I mean, and cosmetic surgery, I should say, add that on. Um, do doctors, how does one find a doctor? How do I know? Do you, do you have pictures? How does one go about even saying, okay, this is who I'm going with? Sure. So, you know, when I, when I found the practice, it was funny, uh, there were still yellow pages out there. So <laughs> I, I went to the yellow pages and uh, looked for all the practices and interviewed with as many as I could. But now it's basically internet. So uh, most people are going to go on the internet and they're going to, they're going to find a list of practices that are, that are, you know, at the top of their search engine. And, and then you're going to go to their website and I, I would think, look at pictures. Uh, that would be my first step to look at the before and after pictures. If someone can't provide good before and after pictures, then you know they don't have good before and after patients. Uh, so that would be my my first step if I were the consumer. Uh, so we try and make sure that we have uh, before and after pictures for patients to see uh, with all the procedures. And then I think once you get to the point of of meeting the physician, that's that's an important thing uh, that you make sure that you mesh with them, that that you both see eye to eye, your expectations meet their expectations. And, and because this is a relationship, and it's not something you just go and get it done and you never see them again. This is going to be an ongoing relationship with your physician, hopefully, uh, that's a positive one. It, it's so funny because I feel, I feel exactly that same way about any doctor, dentist, you know, somebody that you're going to be seeing, you know, possibly for the rest of your life or you know, a long, long time. If you don't get along with them personally, you know, how is that going to work? But I find that, like, my parents... I mean, this is a long time ago. My parents or older adults would, they would say, oh, well, the doctor knows best. And, and there was really no say on their side about the relationship. But I, I think people have changed to understand that, that it, it is a long, long-term relationship and you should understand and get along with your doctor. Absolutely. I think, I think the patient deserves that. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And so it, it is sort of like interviewing your doctor also. I mean, are there questions that people should ask to make sure they, they know that the pictures are real and the patients are real and that their doctor, that they'll feel safe? Well, hopefully the doctor's not going to show them someone else's pictures. That would be, <laughs> yeah, hopefully the pictures are real and not photoshopped. But, you know, I think, I think that it's important just to, to, for patients to be their own best advocate and to ask, you know, uh, if the surgery center that they're doing surgery in is accredited, if the, you know, if the doctor's credentials are up to date and if they have uh, admitting privileges in the hospital, for example. You know, some physicians uh, maybe aren't plastic surgeons that are doing some of these procedures, and the patients aren't really aware that they'll, they'll be told that the person's a cosmetic surgeon. 
but they're not a plastic surgeon. Uh, and in reality, they're a family medicine doctor doing liposuction in their office in a non-accredited facility and don't have admitting privileges. And when things go bad and eventually something's going to happen, uh, you want to make sure that that physician is qualified and, uh, and credentialed to help take care of those things. Uh, so I think that's, that's, a, that's the biggest thing. Uh, there's a lot of uh, kind of imposters out there uh, who want to be plastic surgeons but aren't uh, and, and should not be doing the things. But they're not governed to, to be told that they're not allowed to do the things because you know, the, the Texas Medical Board doesn't set scope of care rules. Yes. Uh, so that's the biggest thing, I think. Make sure that you have a board-certified physician, whether it's a board-certified plastic surgeon or a facial plastic surgeon or ophthalmic plastic surgeon, uh, whatever it is, board-certified in the field that they're operating uh, and have admitting privileges. Would would you say that the reason somebody would be so <laughs> reckless to go to someone that is not board-certified is because of uh, costs? Well, I mean, cost is only part of it. I think that they just are trusting a lot of people. And so they, they, they see the big fancy website or they see a nice office and they hear someone else that had a good experience and they think, oh, this Dr. So-and-so uh, is a board-certified cosmetic surgeon, which is not a, a recognized board uh, by the American Board of Medical Specialties. And patients don't know that. Uh, and so they go in and they're just kind of duped and, and, and don't have the wherewithal to, to ask the right question. Uh, so, and that's unfortunate, uh, and that's something that the American Board of Medical Specialties has tried to rectify, and it's just difficult. So, what what are the latest trends when it comes to plastic surgery? I know you were telling me that you know it dropped a little bit during COVID, and that's understandable because I'm sure all practices, not just plastic surgery, um, had a dip in, and I think that. Uh, everything soon is getting back to normal and people are making decisions again about their health and about their appearance and everything. But what, would you say that there's something new on the horizon or something new right now that people would want to know about? Well, I, I think that it's, it's been an even heavier shift towards uh, facial surgeries. So, you know, like I said, those have dipped less. Uh, my practice has actually uh, increased at uh, 20 to 30% over the wow. last year. Uh, so, uh, so certainly, you know, facelifts, necklifts, eyelid surgery, nose reshaping, uh, all those things have, have accelerated and really all the, all the procedures. It seems like, uh, when people were on lockdown, they, they couldn't travel, of course. Uh, and you know, many of our patients had the discretionary spending, they just didn't have the time. And so the biggest barrier to entry was time. And now that's all they have is time. Uh, and so, so it seems like everything has gotten busier, even though the, the ASPS says that numbers are down. In our practice and, and in my peers' practices, it sounds like everyone's busier than they've ever been. Um, there's, there's nothing necessarily new, you know, device-wise or surgery-wise in the last, you know, 12 months. Uh, but, but certainly there's a, a heavier focus on, on you know, uh, health and wellness. You hear it with the exercise companies and, and things like that. And it's the same with, uh, you know, kind of self-wellness and, and self-image uh, with the cosmetic surgery and plastic surgery practices. You're, you're so absolutely right. And I think in the beginning of COVID, when everybody, you know, started gaining weight and baking bread and, you know, just not exercising because gyms were closed down. I think after 
then when things started to reopen, people realized, oh my gosh, you know, things are different. I'm not moving around as much because I don't have to go to an office. I'm sitting, you know, I go from my bedroom to my office at work and that's as much walking or exercise that I'm getting. And it it is weird because the healthier, the healthier you are, you know, the better immunity you know system that you have and that you can fight any disease not just you know covid but do you think that if you get plastic surgery that it kind of makes you want to make everything else better am i crazy to think that well i mean i think it's it's kind of a barometer for um how you how you're handling other things in your life certainly so you know you're not going to spend a lot of money on your face or your body if, if you're not also going to be hopefully, you know, eating healthier and exercising and maintaining those things. We right. always, you know, kind of, you know, harp on patients about uh, sunscreen and, and things like that to, to maintain, you know, not only enhance your results, but maintain your results. I mean, you don't spend a lot of money or do, you know, go to the gym eight times a week to go home and eat an entire chocolate cake. You, <laughs> <laughs> right. doing this, hopefully everything else focuses with that same goal of, of, you know, achieving, you know, this, this better image or better physique or, or whatever, better health that you're looking for. I totally agree with that. I mean, I've never done it, always wanted to, but I can imagine you're like, Hey, this looks great. I'm going to make, you know, I'm going to continue working out or whatever, because you feel so much better because you look better. And I know that you shouldn't say that, you know, it's all about looks, but when you feel confident that, I mean, all of that kind of goes hand in hand, I think, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we, a lot, we see a lot of people that are, you know, entering the workforce again for the, for the first time in a long time, or they're transitioning careers and they want a fresh start and they're, they're, they're competing with a, a younger crowd coming in. And of course, you know, the older people are, are commanding higher salaries, so it's harder to keep those jobs. So, so yes, we're, we're looking for people that are constantly trying to refresh, renew, reinvigorate their their careers, their lives, their self-esteem, everything. You know what? I, I apologize because I haven't introduced you again. Uh, if you are just now joining us, I'm speaking with um, Dr. Cameron Craven, and he is with Westlake Dermatology and Cosmetic Surgery. Um, I wanted to ask you this, and I hope you don't get mad, but I was thinking... Why is it that some movie stars get facelifts and they are horrible if they have all the money in the world? How does that happen? That's a very good question. I I, I don't have a solid answer for that. <laughs> I, I think if it was that easy, it just wouldn't happen. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that, again, we, we kind of mentioned earlier that there are some bad actors in this industry where they put up the fancy storefront or the, 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 uh, you know, before and after pictures that may or may not be yeah. genuine. Uh, and they dupe the customer. And just because you're a wealthy actor, actress, doesn't mean that you're any less gullible to those, those facades. Uh, and, and, and ultimately, you know, they, they can be talked into something that maybe wasn't the best plan uh, or, or maybe they just had a bad outcome. You know, there, there are bad outcomes from the, the best surgeons I know have bad outcomes occasionally. And, and a lot of what I, I you know, think makes someone a, a an excellent or an average surgeon is how you handle bad outcomes. And so maybe that some of those, those bad outcomes weren't handled the best. Uh, it, it's really hard to say, you know, what makes people have bad plastic surgery or continue to have bad plastic surgery. <laughs> I know it's so crazy. It's like, okay, that doesn't look good. Let's go back for more. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> so if a person goes in and they're interested 
in getting a fresher look, how do they know that they're not going to get that plastic surgery face? Well, I, mean, I think that it, again, comes down to meeting with the physician and discussing your expectations and, and really going through the before and after pictures with, with the physician or their consultant, if it may be a you know, designated consultant. Uh, so we have a very extensive before and after gallery of my work and our other physicians' work so that they can see realistically what other patients have achieved uh, so that you don't have – and I don't know how people get this super windswept, like you're going 100 miles an hour while you're standing still. I don't know how that happens. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but yeah, we certainly want to avoid that. Patients want to avoid that. And none of my patients have that. Uh, But I think if you're going to, you know, John Doe, plastic surgeon in Idaho, you know, just have them show your before and after pictures and make sure that, that what they're producing is what you're after. When it comes to facial rejuvenation, what are the things separately that you can get? Well, so we kind of divide them into, uh, we, we divide them into, Typically, uh, you have care products, then you have uh, non-invasive uh, uh, procedural type of uh, devices, and then you have invasive plastic surgery devices uh, or, or, or procedures. Uh, so we try and promote comprehensive facial rejuvenation, uh, which includes a little bit of everything. So if someone has significant neck laxity and sagging, we, we would advocate for a lower face and neck lift potentially. Uh, if they have excess eyelid skin, we may advocate for an eyelid surgery. But then also, if they have wrinkles around their eyes or between their brows, I would, I would promote uh, Botox use. If they have uh, smile lines around their mouth, maybe a filler uh, to treat those. And then uh, for skin care, everyone, of course, is recommended to have a sunscreen they wear every day. There's various products that, uh, that have growth factors and that sort of thing that help to promote uh, collagen uh, synthesis and remodeling. Uh, so, so again, it's kind of a little bit of everything. We have, we have lasers for, for uh, wrinkles around the mouth. Uh, for pigment, we have different lasers, uh, all, all sorts of things. So we try and have a tailored plan for each patient uh, that, that has a little bit of everything to get the best outcomes. And all of this can be done separately, right? Separately, yeah. It does, it's not all done the same day, of course. So, <laughs> so you know, obviously your surgery is not going to be done on the same day as your Botox. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the skincare products are something you're going to do at home. Uh, and, and you don't have to necessarily, you know, if you're doing surgery, you don't have to do the face, the eyes, and the brow all at once. Just the face and neck if you wanted to and do the eyes another time. So, you know, we're, we're happy to work with patients and, and do things as, as little as they want or as much as they want. Uh, but... Also, they need to recognize that when you do, especially with surgery, when you do more things, a lot of times that ends up, you end up with a more harmonious result. So, you know, someone that does face uh, is, is maybe going to look in a way more natural than someone that just did the neck. Dr. Craven, I also understand that you are part of something called Austin Smiles. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so uh, my practice and, and my team in particular support an organization called Austin Smiles uh, that's a plastic surgery charitable surgery organization where we travel to third world countries, uh, typically Guatemala, El Salvador, and Mexico to perform uh, cleft lip and palate surgeries for patients, for children uh, with uh, congenital deformities. That is incredible. That is so awesome. As we wrap up here, Dr. Craven, can you tell people how they can get in touch with you, your doctors at Westlake? Sure, sure. So uh, our website is westlakedermatology.com. And we have locations in Austin, Houston, San Antonio, and Dallas. 
Uh, our main office lo uh, location phone number is 512-328-3376 or 512-328-DERM. Uh, but again, we do, even though the name says dermatology, we do offer a full gamut of cosmetic surgery, plastic surgery. Um, we do skin cancer surgeries, reconstructive uh, surgeries after skin cancer, uh, breast reconstructive surgeries. Uh, it's, it's, it's quite a broad spectrum practice in spite of the name. Well, Dr. Craven, I appreciate your time and thank you so much for talking to us about Westlake Dermatology.